Welcome to episode 17 of Chasing Squirrels podcast. On this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Teresa Miko. Um, Teresa Miko is a pretty important cornerstone to my teaching career. She was one of a, one of a, a handful of, I would say, teacher coaches or mentors that helped me enter into this this vocation as part of something called NTIP, which is a new teacher induction program. And I can remember, this is almost 12 years ago, the joy of teaching and the passion of teaching was clearly, clearly a part of her helping new teachers get comfortable, get skilled, and um, get into teaching with our school board. That passion is even more obvious as I get to sit across from her at the table and talk about things like the challenges of being a consultant and moving back into the classroom and some of the interesting places we find ourselves when we come out of the classroom and we're looking for other opportunities in education and what is presented to us. Many, many times in our combo, I was just knocked, knocked back and I found myself leaning forward because of the energy and the love that was coming off of Teresa for her career, for working with students, and for working with other teachers. You're going to love this conversation. You really, really will. All right. Welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. I will say what makes this whole curve of doing podcasts fantastic is the opportunity to uh, do the conversations in pretty amazing places. So without branding it directly, I'll say I have the luxury of being in 22 degree weather <laughs> on a patio having a, a coffee at the end of the school day. And I'm here with Teresa Meikle. Throw down a quick uh, introduction for yourself. Okay, so um, I've known Chris for quite some time. I'm a retired teacher, consultant, administrator. Um, had a fantastic career, lots of opportunities. Still miss it. Still involved a little bit on Twitter, doing some writing. Um, and I always wanted to be a teacher and did not get into teacher's college twice. So um, it always makes me wonder how those decisions are made. So when they finally let me in, I did really well. And uh, I think I helped support a few kids. So that's who I am. I love the, um, and this is something that never translates well to podcasts, I love the, uh, the moments where I get to lean in, and I had a moment there where I wanted to go follow, but it, and it wasn't because I was laughing at all at your second, third time's a charm, uh, it was entirely a little bit of the humor that you sort of injected it. Ba- let's back up though, because I do want to get to just the origin story, so what, what brought you to teaching, or was teaching kind of finding you? I, I always wanted to be a teacher. From the time I can remember, I wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a great reader. Um, I started reading pretty early, read all the time. Um, I'm the youngest of seven, so um, I didn't have anybody to boss around. No, that's not really what drew me to teaching, because that's not what it's about. But I, I just love learning, and I'm passionate about literature and poetry, and um, I love kids. So that's really what happened. I came to Canada from Scotland when I was 11. And um, I was the first of my family to go to university. Mm. Um, many of them have gone since, but that was a big deal. And uh, I just always wanted to be a teacher. So when I, was, uh, when I didn't get in, in uh, second year university, I was really devastated. So it took me a while to kind of recover from that and then put my hat in the way again and then I was still I still didn't get in this was at U of T and uh, then I called them and I said well, I think we need to talk <laughs> so um, it's, it, it just, you this. know what it was really it was interesting because the first time I applied I applied to elementary the second time I applied I applied in business and English so for secondary and uh I'm, I'm so lucky because I've had an opportunity to do both now, really. So most of my career as a secondary teacher, but then as an administrator um, and consultant, getting to work K-12, to really a delight. That's And again, I, um, throughout this, 
I mentioned just before we hit tape, I, I feel like I've known you longer, and I think it's just because of the rapport and the energy, the positivity. Um, back in the day, you were part of the story of me starting teaching, mm, and mm. I'll, I'll, I'll jump onto that in a bit, but just to back up, you know, how do you get a conversation with a school to say, hey, I think you've kind of overlooked me? Like, what was what was going through your head? Because that's, that's pretty profound. One, because I'll just say that I don't know in, in, our, in, our, in our world of numbers and bits and bytes and digital and connections. Like, I remember when I was relating to a student today that back in my day when I applied, you sent out in mail around Christmas and you don't hear anything until June and then you may or may like there was no opportunity to be that constant connectedness yeah so it's mind-blowing to me that you would even kind of go there to say hey I'd like to I'd like to talk about this a bit yeah I was older so I had um I'd finished university I'd been working for a while I worked downtown for lawyers did payroll and stuff um and and I just it was always that I really wanted to do this so when I went in to see them, I just called them and I said, is there somebody I could talk to about this? Because I'm going to reapply, so what do I need to do? And when I went in to see them, they were really, really very kind and talked to me about my credentials and doing some more volunteer work and that kind of stuff. And um, But then they changed their mind and said, you can come, you can start in September. So it worked out really well. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was actually about 20 27 or 28. So um starting older, which I think was really beneficial for me as a teacher. Despite the fact that's just an amazing story to have. Like Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's a know. bit of a Well, you know what? It's a story that I would share with kids. Yes. Um sometimes it doesn't work out the way you planned, but in the end, it was a good thing. Yeah. It was a really good thing because I ended up teaching business and English. And at the time when I was applying for jobs, I could fit a timetable anywhere. Yeah. Oh, you're going to teach three classes of grade 11 accounting and three grade 11 English. Okay. Yes. So it was a weird fit, but I, I, it worked. No, I get, I totally get that. You made me think about just a little bit about my path coming in. I came in as a second career. So I've been teaching mm. now for 12 years. I, the first 30 somewhat years I was involved in hospitality mm-hmm. so work in restaurants every position doing a chef, ending as a chef and sort of like that decision to come in with that different lens uh, I would say I probably came in as aggressively as you did or assuredly as you did mm-hmm. but for different reasons because I was coming out of a money driven business where I felt like I was on my game and I sort of like believed I should be teaching hospitality mm. it's that experience base right yeah and also a little bit with that a little bit of that clarity as in this is what kids need to learn mm-hmm. a little bit of mm-hmm. that sort of like industry experience but right. I totally get you coming in not instantly really right. is a it, it it frames your experience differently yeah. you mentioned um you know sharing it with students did you ever have occasion to share that story with other educators when they're sort of like talking about their process of becoming a teacher? Um, probably, maybe with some new teachers. I think there's, this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, um, if, if it has any basis in research. But I think sometimes as a young, young teacher, so your first real work, um, there's a little rigidity, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of fear about having to control the classroom and control the kids and manage everything and structure everything in a, in, in a kind of rigid way. And I think just having those few years of working um, alongside other adults and, you know, solving other kinds of problems, um, developing relationships with, yeah. with employees and colleagues, um, you know, and living on my own, you know, for a few years, having my own apartment. Yeah. Like, it, it gave me a bit of confidence in uh, it being okay not to be certain about everything. Yeah. Although, my first day, I remember, <laughs> when O Canada was playing and I was looking at all those kids, I thought, oh, how can I get out of here? Because I don't know what I'm doing. 
So there, there's a little bit of confidence and fear at the same time. <laughs> it's, a, it's an intoxicating <laughs> mix. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else, uh, I was sharing something similar that um, when I was brought in, I was brought into not only, I was, again, lucky to teach the hospitality, but also the grade 11 introduction to social psych and anthro. And uh, that was sort of part of my um, undergraduate degree as well as drama, which FYI, mm. I have a sort of sub-qualification in that as well. But I didn't get to teach it because I didn't have enough credits to declare it as an actual teachable. Okay. So I did with Anthro and Soch, but I can remember spending the whole summer with a, a colleague and we were the two that were going to be rolling it out. And it's quite remarkable how, like you think the big challenge is getting the job and then you get the job and you're like, oh, okay, I got the job. And then you spend the summer planning and you think the planning is going to be the challenge and get it done. You're like, oh, the planning's done. And then you walk in on the first day and there's 30 kids sitting there and you're like, and now what do I do with this? Yeah. And it was, it was sort of like, I would even go before it. That was probably the slowest version of O Canada that I had ever <laughs> heard. Like you should hear the it's clock so tick, tick, yeah. tick. And then the, um, I had, the, I will say the misfortune of having a focused class mm. because they all were just wow. teach us. Wow. Let's go. And, wow. and I don't know, you know, since then I've moved into portfolios where that's not, not not my space and the right. students don't give up that space right away they're a little more resistant let's say but I, I'll still remember I'm like uh, slow motion putting the overhead <laughs> on the overhead projector and say okay we're going to talk about you know introductory theories of socialization and then boom the pencil came out and started running I'm like what have I done like yeah. I, I was like it was quite well it's profound. interesting because in my that day I had a kid at the back of the room who had his hat on for O Canada. And we did a little bit of a stare down because he knew that I knew that that was not okay. And I walked towards him and it came off. But I mean, that was my first day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was a great kid in the end, but he just wanted to try it on for size and see how the new teacher was going to handle the situation. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I know his name. Still I know it, his eh? number. Still in no. there. Oh, yeah, Peter, <laughs> but I, I, st I still remember his name. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I can remember it was in one of the last few days of faculty. And when I went into faculty, so I went to U of T. And when I went into faculty, because I came in, I was brought in as a tech teacher. But because I had the undergraduate degree, it was a really nice position to be in because. Um, being the, being tech qualified and also having an undergraduate degree, I still got to walk away with my billet. Mm -hmm. I, um, I still feel to this day an incredible amount of sort of empathy and sadness on behalf of some of my colleagues that had done 30 years in their own auto shop. Mm. But because they went right into the trades right. at that time, right. they got the certificate and sort of the, the sort of like to upgrade to that space, I always thought was really unkind and unfair mm. for the depth of experience. The thing that I loved about my program was that in teaching tech teachers, there was hairstylists and electricians and plumbers. Right. And I can remember sitting in the library, I'll never forget that, sitting in the library and listening to two science uh, candidates talking. And they were talking about, um, uh, they were talking about, it was something about uh, lesson delivery and sort of classroom management. And they were talking about how tricky it was to sort of manage the overhead and mm. kind of write, sort see it sort of in reverse and also keep eyes on the class and all these little pieces that I thought, that's entirely what I'm being taught. There was no teaching of my actual curriculum. There was no yes, one teaching yes. me how to cook. Right. They were teaching me the core. Like, I, I came to hate constructivism like that, that that word just kept on pounding me like that whole idea of having to build the knowledge and build the space because it really made me feel challenged in a way that I couldn't lean on my cooking but fundamentally it gave me such a great grounding in what first year teaching was about mm -hmm. where it didn't matter so much what your teachable was survival and what you leaned on in survival were right. your base skills I could do overhead I could write on the chalkboard and keep my eye on that guy that kid wearing the hat I could look at him <laughs> and and you know so I think back That's to funny. yeah I, I think back to sort of arriving there and then participating in some of the end tip mm -hmm. and what was that like bringing some of those okay welcome new teachers because yeah. there was a curriculum there I imagine that needed to be covered yeah what was the challenge in weaving in some of these life stories, like well, to sort of it's, keep it's, it real? Um, 
I think that's a, a good question. I, I wasn't responsible for mentoring mm -hmm. all the new teachers, but I worked with people who were. And um, I mean, definitely we had a curriculum around making sure people understood assessment principles yeah. and um, making sure that they understood policies from the ministry and in our board and, um, you know, some strategies for classroom management. So those are really practical tools and opportunities for the new teachers to support one another and make some connections and make some friends and mm -hmm. feel that they weren't alone. So that was really important. Um, and another piece was to share some of our experiences. So I had already been a teacher for 20 years when I was involved with working with new teachers. Yep. Um, and, I, and I think not that you know, your experience is the only one that matters, but you have some practical um, tools, uh, you have a philosophy mm -hmm. of teaching and working with kids that, that you can share mm -hmm. um, for people to consider. Yes. Not, not, not buy it wholesale, but to consider. Um, and, and what I really liked about it is that people would bring some challenges that were current, yes. immediate. And as a group, we could think about what are some strategies that we could use. Not this is the way to do it, but what are some things that we might try. Yep. Because all of those circumstances are individual and they're individual kids and individual contexts. And um, trying to work together to find best solutions for kids is really the most important part. And the most important thing I learned, actually, when I became, um, when I left the classroom to become a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, because in my experience, um, a lot of times in our classrooms, we're alone. Um, People might lend us things. They might give us resources. Like the, what people did when I started was they give you the binder. Mm -hmm. Here's the for you English. Mm -hmm. Teach away. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you would have conversation. Over the years, I would have conversation with people. But um, not as much as I did when I became a consultant, when I had dedicated time for collaboration and learning how to work with other people. Yeah. Which is so important, and I, I don't think we honor it in schools. I think we do more so now than mm -hmm. when I started, but um, certainly we still need to make that space for teachers mm -hmm. to share ideas, um, to challenge each other. Um, and it's more than knowing about you know what, what digital tools they're using or what books they're using or any of those things. It's more about what they're trying and exploring and what what they're hoping will happen in terms of kids' learning. Yeah. Um, so not gimmicky, but really, um, as I was saying, deep learning. Yeah. Um, but often our opportunities are shallow for sharing what we mean by deep learning. Yeah, for sure. So. So when, after, after that time, you went from curriculum back into classroom? I did, yes. So, that was fantastic. So, see, so this is the thing, because so now you have a you have an interesting arc, right, coming yes. from class to helping the instructors that are, you know, kind of build, building the capacity in individuals to start up, and right. then now you coming back to the classroom. Yes. That what, was, you know what? What did you that, notice about yourself? That was, that was um, it was such a great thing to happen. Um so when you're in curriculum, you know, you're learning all kinds of stuff. You're what we would use the term lead learner. Yep. And I was real I really embraced all those opportunities. I loved it. And mm -hmm. I loved the people I worked with and we learned so much together and we were a dynamic team. Um, so it came about that my my position was over. Yep. And I was on the short list to be a vice principal. Okay. Um, and they offered to place me, but I couldn't go to the place that they asked me to go because I don't like to drive. Anyway, that's another story. Yeah. So I went to act to be a teacher, okay. which was outstanding. So I went to a school that um, every student had a computer. Okay. Um, and when I left the classroom, we had blackboards and chalk. So that was interesting. Um, Wait, what's the time frame between leaving and arriving there? It was about, about eight years. 
That's it was tight. About, that's it was pretty about profound. Eight years. Yeah. It's come. I want to come back to that, yeah. but keep going. What did you notice um, about yourself coming back? Oh, in the middle of that, I was also at the Ministry of Education. Okay. For one semester. Anyway, um, so I noticed about myself that I, I mean, I'd been doing presentations all that time, right? Yep. Working with teachers, um, managing workshops, organizing workshops. So really doing all the kinds of things you do as a teacher as well. True. You know, taking content, finding a way to make it engaging, all of that kind of thing. But just the actual organization of the classroom was really different. Mm-hmm. The fact that all the kids had their computers, yep. um, and I was at the front of the room, but that really didn't work anymore. That that, <laughs> you know, like what what do I want them to look at? I don't need them to look at me. I need them to look at that. So just sort of figuring out how to do that. Even silly things like. Um, they have whiteboards, right? So they had a whiteboard. So you have a whiteboard marker, and then you have your markers that are for the flip chart yes. paper, right? So, I mean, I messed up the markers, and I, you know, destroyed <laughs> destroyed the whiteboard. I'm sorry. Um, so, that, I mean, there were lots of changes. And, and even though that was happening, I was still not persuaded that this was deep learning. Right, the Acceler- <laughs> accelerated by technology yeah, per se. Okay, it, it, it wasn't in my mind. There were some things happening that might be useful to some kids. Um, it helped us to differentiate a little bit right. for some kids. Um, but my focus was in teaching English and literacy. Yeah, and I wanted kids to have conversations. Yeah, and that I found really interesting because I had some resistance from some of my students about having to work in groups, having to talk to their peers. Um, see the humans. So, yeah. So <laughs> bu- building the, building the, the community in the classroom mm-hmm. for kids to share one another, respect each other's ideas, um, volunteer their own ideas without embarrassment and shame. Um, I mean, I knew a million strategies, facilitation strategies for that I'd used working with adults mm-hmm. for all those years. And I was using them in the classroom. So, you know, you would do four corners, you know, find a partner, go there, have a conversation about whatever it is. And I would put them in the, and they would look at me like, what do you want us to do now? I would like you to have a conversation about the thing, whatever it is we're talking about. And, and so that was, that was interesting to me that they were really challenged by that. Sometimes they didn't want to talk to other people. Did you, did you feel like something had changed since you left the classroom or was this... Did it feel like an Did it feel like a, a uh, um, an outlier, or did it feel like an evolution? Did you ever give any yeah, pause? Like, in, how did how did this come to be? I remember yeah. working with the students; and they would just talk, talk, well, talk. Well, that, like, that's really interesting. That's a good question, Chris. Because when I before I became a consultant, I've been doing lots of professional learning mm-hmm. and lots about collaborative learning, cooperative learning, lots of work with Barry Bennett. Yep. Um, what's the name of his famous book? I Beyond Monet. Remember. Beyond Monet. Mm-hmm. All those strategies. So I had been trying all those strategies in my class mm-hmm. with my kids. And so much so that the kids would say, oh, you got a strategy for us today? What's the strategy? <laughs> Coining the... Yeah. And I'm, What's and the you strategy know what? That's okay, yes. Um, so, you know, over time, we built those relationships with kids, and they built that community together. Um, I think they were more receptive to those kinds of strategies then when I went back to be a teacher in a school that where every kid had a computer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was teaching grade 10 applied and grade 12, uh, university level English, and I had the same sort of situation with them, that some resistance from the kids about working cooperatively. So a culture shift. Yeah. A culture yeah. shift somehow. Yeah. One of, the, one of the things I put, I was talking to someone else that had done work in curriculum and one of the things that I was curious about is the awareness of the awareness of the classroom when you're working at curriculum so that sort of connectivity how 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 is what you're doing there percolating yeah and and there I can only imagine there are times where it it just you can't measure that at that point it's too it's too long game you're at some point the individual that you know you as the lead passing it along, passing yeah. along, and passing along. But um, 
Are there moments where, where you well, get there, the glimpses of the, yeah, I can tell where this is making it right so to the were, class? There were a couple of different jobs that I had in curriculum. One was a job as an intensive support consultant, okay. where I worked with one school mm. regularly over time with a team, with the administrators, and really targeted, focused uh, professional learning. And, you know, it was around literacy. Yep. And... Uh, Particularly OSSLT, because mm-hmm. the school was, you know, the kids were struggling. And we measured that. And that made a huge impact on those literacy test scores. So the work that we did there made a big difference um, at that time for that group of kids. And, and I think we built a really strong uh, professional team. In fact, I think everybody who was on that team is now an administrator. Wow. In our, in our school board um, because they were teacher leaders but uh, so that was one bit of the work that I did but then the other work that I did was doing presentations and, and big situations and workshops and we did a ton of work on assessment a ton of it and when I went back to the classroom I was still hearing the conversations that I'd heard before I left the classroom around assessment like we're going to take off you know 20% for every day late and um, I'm not accepting the work and um, those kinds of uh, niggly points where people get stuck around mm-hmm. assessment and even though we had growing success and all the work that um, we've done around the foundations of assessment yep. as really leading to learning and using assessment information to help us plan instruction I didn't see that happening. Um, and, and, and the conversations were still going on. And, and it was sporadic that you'd have those, you'd hear that, right? I mean, so some people seem to be in the loop yep. and have, you know, started to change their practice or reflect on their practice around assessment and how it supported learning. Mm-hmm. And other people just hadn't. Yep. So it was exactly the same thing as... Um, as when I'd left. It's one of the few spaces on this podcast so far that I haven't spent a, a lot of time on assessment and evaluation. Right. I think um, part of that, part of that is that it, it's it it has a real enigmatic flavor to it. Like mm-hmm. even if you're even if you let's say for a moment park the growing success, park some of the supportive student successful language. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of um, I almost think like it's almost like growing success through punitive measures kind of a framework that it's really hard to escape that and when I hear deductions to encourage productivity I don't have a place for that I don't have a place where that naturally lands where I can kind of think that's what I would do so I, I go more towards the building the opportunity the, the like some of the stuff that if, if I'm in process to understand future of assessment um I can remember taking, there was a course that the board offered. Right. And I forget who was teaching it. Laura Leasty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I took that and it was, a, I think it was a full semester, like twice mm, a week. Like it was, it was intense. But that was kind of transformative because I was coming, I was, and again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I came out of a system where it was money driven. So you could commodify, you could make very direct correlation between what you do and the type of money you make and how you save and how that benefits the bottom line. And I think that was that was kind of my starting point for assessment when I came in, as in, okay, I get it, there's four categories, but you demonstrating knowledge is just you giving me back an answer that's correct. And mm. that's and I realized in taking and I forget the it was based on a, a specific author. There was a book that we focused on. Um, and I remember it really opened up my eyes that sort of began that understanding of the sort of observations, conversations, kind of like there's more ways to right, measure that right. learning than just yeah. give me back what I just gave you. Exactly. So I mean, I, I think assessment is a very complex topic. It takes a lot of time to think about it. But a couple of things I'll say. I mean... The point of the assessment is to improve learning. Yes. So when I'm gathering information about how kids are doing, I'm to use that information to help them do even better, mm-hmm. not to just judge it. Yes. And and so that 
that's a shift in thinking for people. Um, I, I think even now when we're talking more about project-based learning mm-hmm. and authentic learning, sometimes we're not even sure what we're measuring before we begin. Yeah. So when I'm planning experiences, how if I don't know what I'm going for in planning the experience, how will I be able to measure whether or not we have grown, we have moved, we've hit some kind of place where we're more wise or knowledgeable or capable than we were before we started. So I think it's a really messy business, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's really important. Like, do we know what we're measuring? Do we know what 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 is worth measuring? Right? I think thinking is worth measuring, but if, if we don't agree on what high-quality thinking is, that's going to be a problem when it comes to assessment. Yeah. As you, one of the things I'm doing right now, I'm... I'm um, I'm working with a, a superintendent who's a writer, and I'm doing some revision and editing of, of some of her work. And we continue to talk about um, how, how we can support children if we don't understand where they currently are. Okay. Right? So if I, if I don't look at their student work, yep. their co- and if I don't have conversations with them, and I'm not using that to do my planning, then how do I know if, I, if we're having any impact, if we're having any influence at all, mm-hmm. supporting growth for that child? So I think it's challenging. I think it's the most challenging part of education. Well, no, not the most, because it's also tied into mental health as well, mm-hmm. which we talked about a little bit. Um, I'm not suggesting that... Uh, we don't provide kids with feedback about their learning, but the feedback has to be in the right amount, at the right time, it has to be specific, and they need opportunities to act on it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the challenge between the curriculum and the assessment, and then the child's mental health and well-being, those things all come together. So I think teaching is really hard work. It's, it's great work, but it's really hard work. And you have to be patient with yourself, and you have to lean on your colleagues to help you learn. I like all of that. Can you write that down for yeah, me? Yeah, I was madly <laughs> scrolling. But that's the, as, as I said, the lean in. I, it's um, a, a friend of mine uh, uh, does podcasts, and he, and he talks about how when you start off doing some of these casts, you sort of get that list of questions. And I can, if you want, at some point, I'll share the, the Google Doc that I, I developed one as sort of like a a little bit of like why is it that I'm doing this like why did it even occur you go meta on it okay I want to do this thing why do I want to do this why did I even think that I want to do this well, you know the, you end up going almost kaleidoscopic backwards what what sparked this interest my my sort of seed point I can attribute to uh, uh, I would call a mentor teacher another a colleague of mine who I came across podcasts in general listened to a bunch of different ones, came across his, and in doing so, felt a real connection just to his, the way he built his conversation, the way the rapport, I could, you could sort of tell that's a divergence, like he's sort of allowing the flow. Right, right. And very brave in the way that he sort of existed in the conversation without, and allowing it to be a little Mm, messy. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what you made me think about that, um, the, the idea of sort of and it, it now I mean could, we can walk away from assessment evaluation entirely but just the ability right now to be brave as a teacher and to yeah. be, and, and I, th- I think the challenge is that we you know like when we do curriculum we separate things because it's it's tidier to mm-hmm. say here's the curriculum on this 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 and this but that's not how things work and so the curriculum for a teacher is You know, you need to be looking after kids' Mm well-being at the same time as you're helping them to learn and grow Mm -hmm. um, and be knowledgeable and be great thinkers. So it's messy. Um, I I haven't figured out, you know, we used to talk about the spiral curriculum, um, the integrated curriculum. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what the word is for this, but 
I just, I just think all of those things have to be in place for that community of learners that we're looking after our wellness and our education, um, and that we're collaborating to grow together. So. I like, uh, yeah, you the um, the idea of building in an understanding of wellness. I'll say for myself is I often. I'll often ask myself, is this, how do I know this? Do, do I know this thing that I'm about to do because I feel like someone's told it to me? Or I've generated this, <laughs> this awareness? Right. And then sort of looking at, as you said, the context is in, am I doing a thing that ultimately will result in help for the kids? Are they going to benefit from this right. thing that I'm doing? Um, and I often fall back to the expectations, and I and I say if this is the if this is the common tongue, let's say for our, if this is the common tongue for our 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 um, our board, or even the common tongue for our our career, am I reading it right? Mm. Am, am, am I actually reading it right here? And I love the word the fact that um, you know it's, they are called expectations, which is a little bit directive, but it's also slightly hopeful. <laughs> when you really kind of break it down, yeah. that you sort of yeah. expect the thing to happen, um, and to sort of, like you said, to put an assessment or to put an expectation on an expectation is not what we're being asked to do. We're, we're, mm. it, it, it's almost suggestive of being something that's a little bit messy, but we got a whole lot of people thinking that it is maybe a little bit more locked down than. Yeah, than it could I mean, be. I think we have to start with what the expectations are, the curriculum expectations, mm -hmm. but as as what holds all of that together is our care for kids absolutely and our care for our colleagues so if we don't have that piece in place i i don't, I don't think your curriculum matters mm -hmm. if you're not really invested in supporting kids to grow um and find their best selves mm -hmm. with each other in a community um that doesn't really matter what your curriculum is yeah I think, you know, school's an opportunity for kids to um, really sort of break away a little bit from their families yep. and discover who they are. And classrooms have to be open enough for that to happen. And I think sometimes um, our kids are, are really narrow in their focus. Um, there, there's a lot of anxiety. I was just working in a school recently um, as an administrator, and I spent most of my day trying to help students manage stress, mm -hmm. disappointment, um, anxiety about their academic performance. And I've worked in other schools where most of my day there would be spent um, supporting students with some challenges at home, some mental health challenges, some substance abuse challenges. So, you know, every place we go, we've got different kinds of challenges. Mm -hmm. But helping teachers to understand, look after themselves. Yeah. Because um, you have to be in good shape to be able to help everybody. Um, but also, you know, what are the strategies that we can use in the classroom that will help the kids to look after each other um, and, and be kind? Essential. Yeah, it's uh, you, you. You make me think of. I mean, you mentioned the students getting a little bit of separation, and it makes me think about the the other educators in the school as well stepping away from their families, and you're creating this new unit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a new unit where I don't know if I was ever. I don't know if I've ever been in the conversation where you would have both of those experiences coexisting in the wellness frame. It's just something you've sort of made me think about that. We often, we I find myself more often talking about uh, the educators in the room as having to spend the time marking and staying after school and the coaching and the sort of then having to rush to pick up the kids and then coming back early for the thing right. and then the parent-teacher night. And you bring a really interesting addition to that is that it's actually both parties that are stepping away from their families. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder about what sort of questions could we be asking if we accept that both of us are trying to create this family unit towards wellness. And I had never really mm. thought about it. Yeah, I, 
I mean, I think the classroom, the teacher has that responsibility along with the kids mm-hmm. to create this community where we can be respectful and kind mm-hmm. and, and we are willing to take risks. So I started to learn about that when I became a drama teacher. Mm. So as a drama teacher, we won't be taking any risks if we're feeling like people are looking at us and judging us and um, going to laugh at us. So how do we open up uh, to feel comfortable with other people? And um, sometimes kids would take risks in the drama class that they wouldn't take at home. Yeah. And they would say things in drama class that they wouldn't say at home. And, it, and I remember, you know, parent-teacher night sometimes talking to parents saying, you know, uh, your son or your daughter did this in class, and it was like this, and it was... And the parents are really surprised mm-hmm. that their child... Uh, was able to create that kind of work and do that kind of work because the child wouldn't share that at home. So it's it's just an interesting sort of, you know, we we are separate from our families and yeah. the kids are separate from their families and we're creating that new dynamic in that classroom um, where there's, again, space for everybody to kind of explore. Yeah. It's know. a funny paradox because I've been in those moments as well where the parent is... You know, on one hand, saying they love your course, and then on the other hand, saying I can't believe that my child is doing this. Exactly. And you, on the inside, are saying this kid's been doing this from the beginning. Yeah. And I often sort of come into those moments, and I, I try not to say too much because I almost wonder if you need to have a little bit of silence in that moment mm. just for that difference to exist, right. so that the kid can actually feel like. Because there's one of the things that I find challenging with some students, and teachers as well, is that kind of like being comfortable in the different roles that you mm-hmm, exist in mm-hmm. and they they can all be equal but different right and that it's okay for a kid to be uh, or an, a, an educator okay at math and then awesome at sports and then phenomenal at cooking and mm-hmm. you know we don't have to make that all one big silo of learning to say that the, the person is finding success mm-hmm. so I have to just kind of bit my tongue and just let that moment of noticing happened for the parent that like right. oh my god because they, they were still appreciative they're like yeah. I've never let my kid cook before but well, I, it's, I it's interesting I mean I'm, I'm just thinking about it even as a parent myself that my kids have experiences that they don't tell me about yeah, yeah. Well, they're now 27 and 25 so that's fine <laughs> yeah. but um, you know people know your people in different ways yes. in different contexts so you they're different people out in the world and they might not want to share that with you. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's I'm also fine. cognizant of making sure that I don't, in those moments, that I don't impress my bias, for better or for worse, onto that moment. Because it's very easy to kind of push onto someone else's revelatory, wow, my kid is amazing, or this teacher's like, mm. yes, I know, mm. I know them from this. And you can kind of make your voice go kind of, or go, yes, yes you can sort of cheer it on. And I think, you know, as, as a parent, and I mean, I have two young kids in school, um, I, I am starting to be aware of their experiences independent of my knowledge. Exactly. And the lag that sometimes these things pop up. Right. Well, yeah, this, this happened a week ago. You're like, what, a week ago? How was I not, yeah. how was I not aware? It's, so I think schools can really open up possibilities for kids yeah. that their parents don't open up or um, allow them to explore and so it's, it's a great it's, it's great for us to be able to do that I mean yes. I certainly saw lots of that in drama yeah for sure the kids who you know came to drama class and then decided they'd like to be in a play mm-hmm. and then tried some things and found themselves to be really great on stage and their parents absolutely floored surprised that they could do that the family yeah that's what it yeah. starts to feel like yeah yeah um, and I think we see that in music class. I think we see it in writing. Um, I'm sure we see it in lots of other in other areas. That I'm okay to stick to start, my specialty. Yeah, yeah start yeah. to discover who they are. <laughs> the other day, I'll just share this with you. I went for lunch with a whole bunch of uh, teachers who were retired. Mm-hmm. One of the teachers' um, daughters is married to a student I taught. So I found out that this student that I taught um, has a fantastic job and career in journalism. And I was so absolutely thrilled and delighted. So I found him on Twitter. Mm -hmm. 
sent him a little note, and then he wrote back to me a lovely little note, lovely little private note. But he remembered my class, he remembered what we did in it, um, and it was English class, and he's a journalist. Yeah. So, I mean, it meant so much to me. And, and he was a quiet young man in class. He didn't really want to share what he was thinking mm -hmm. um, in front of a whole group. And now he's, he's a national journalist. So it's pretty, pretty yeah, awesome. I know. No, I, it's I, pretty awesome. And again, so important. It's so important to have moments like that with your own career. It's like it's like you're having like exactly. a, a bit of a secret moment with your own career. Like I was on track, and it's there good to have those, go. those measurements. And, I mean, right? it's you, you have to remember it's not. It wasn't like that for every kid in your class. Oh, of course not. You didn't help every kid in your class. You know find their way or anything yeah, yeah. like that but for that kid something opened up so I like that that, that leads me to a, a thing that I'm wondering about which is as you were as you were sort of transitioning formally let's say out of education mm. um, I can't imagine it yet. I often sort of say, oh, no, I'm going to keep working, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I don't know what the thing is that kind of says now. Now's a good time. Yeah. Now's a good time. <laughs> and it's, um, I, I'm, I'm curious about, I mean, you can, you can take this wherever you want, but I'm, I'm more curious about the, it's pretty straightforward at the end of the day when you, when you leave your classroom. You sort of, you know, you wipe down mm -hmm. the boards, you know, maybe stack a few things. You're going to do your photocopying, maybe some prep for the next day. Um, the process of, moving out of education though because it is so like yeah. it soaks you like like yeah it's it's Chris that's a really good question what was that you like? know it's 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 been difficult mm -hmm. um so it's just it's your identity so. yeah yeah um I mean I'm still working yeah they yeah. call me back and I get to work which yeah, is yeah. absolutely delightful absolutely um, I'm still doing some writing and definitely some reading um, but you miss the day to day yeah of the colleagues the kids the laughter absolutely um so you have to remind yourself that every day wasn't, wasn't a thrill. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Grab one of those stories, right? That's like, right, oh. that's right. Yeah, um, lost a few it, years you on, know, you're like, I don't forget Yeah, it. and I mean, I was actually, I could have retired a few years earlier. Yeah. Um, but my husband wanted to go, and, and so we retired together, which is also an interesting thing, right? Oh, good. Now we're both home all day. <laughs> oh, believe me, I'm getting a little bit of that pressure from home, too. Every time I say, no, I'll keep working, I get the, yeah. the cut eyes, like, really? Do you really want to do that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's, it's challenging because your identity is all caught up in that work. Yep, for sure. And so much of your time and energy. I mean, I, I really didn't have any other hobbies or mm -hmm. anything else that I did other than, you know, teach, do the plays, um, you know, prepare to teach, mm -hmm. think about the teaching, read about the teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really wrapped up in all of that. So then um, that that's another place. There's an emptiness and there's a, a, a bit of grief, a little bit of grieving in it yep. that that's gone. But... I keep reconnecting with people mm -hmm. and, and um, reading about um, what's happening in education now. And and I've also, you know, started some new things. The whole mental health piece for me has been really interesting around um, yep. that focus in schools. And uh, I want to learn more about mindfulness mm -hmm. and uh, how we're using mindfulness in schools and teaching mindfulness. So I'm thinking about taking a course to be a mindfulness educator mm -hmm. in schools um so that's kind of out there i'm taking one this summer the one in aurora yeah i'm thinking of taking the same course there's a, there's a high five might <laughs> not so trans funny. yeah i signed up for <laughs> that's it so funny. yeah because um i i am i come at it from a different space so you and i have noticed each other at yoga so mm. i have found I found um kind of found a moment it's like a moment in it's not an aha moment it's totally different than an aha aha I find sometimes is far more external than internal for me mm -hmm. it's just it's a it was a quiet moment that I should be doing better 
for myself. Mm. And I didn't, and I don't mean that not from ego-centered, but better for myself so I can be better for others. It was a very quick flip back and forth. Um, so part of it was finding yoga, um, also finding or extending a mindful practice. And I'll be the first to say, like, I love, I use an app. I love it for sort of uh, meditation. But then also trying to sort of find a way that some of those things, I love apprenticing. That's, I realize that's part of my learning style. I need, I need to apprentice. I right. need mentorship. And the opportunity to take that, I think that course is being offered through mm. UBC. Right. It's kind of slightly right. subsidized. Yeah. I thought that's a thing. And I tried to sign up back in September and I just missed the date. So... So I'm torn because they offer that one and then they offer one where you get certification to be a mindfulness educator. Yes. Um, so I don't know which of these things I'm going to do. I'm going to do one of them. Yeah. Because um, so, I still want to be involved in schools. But uh, another part of me recognizes that it, it, it may be time to give up some of that um, and invest in some other interests. So I'm doing the yoga thing, which yeah. I love. Um, doing some traveling. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, oh, I just, I um, I think I'm going to take my dog to be a therapy dog <laughs> to help awesome. um, in uh, nursing homes and in schools again. And there's even a piece where they have uh, a program for kids to read to dogs. Right. Yeah, in the library. No, I get it. Totally in get it. What's so your dog's name? My dog is Buster. Buster. Yeah, Perfect I'm not. Dog I'm not name. sure how Buster will love that, but I think he will. He loves people, so that's we'll awesome. See. Yeah. It's. I mean, in saying, in saying that, you know, the time to step away. Then I would say the 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 upswing to learning more about this is that it 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 can be rolled back into education, mm-hmm, or it could just mm. be rolled into your life. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. it's it's the it's that funny thing where the automaticity sometimes is like, oh, I could totally turn this into a classroom activity. Right. Right. It's exactly. still sticking over oh, here like exactly. you're, that yeah, same yeah. mindset. I want to do a workshop about it. Yeah. And, and um, I'm going to work um, for the school board this summer. I'm going to do a couple of workshops on assessment. So I still I, I love that work. Yeah. And um, I love the questions about the work. Like, what are we doing with this achievement chart? Nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm not quite ready to go. Um, anyway, no, go. those are it. some of my those are some of my plans. So, last thing, I wanna I wanna if I could if I could wrap just back to part of where we started. So, okay. the just qu- a quick landing on on the end tip again. Okay. Um, if you were to be a part of that again specifically mm-hmm. um, what would be some some questions a first year teacher like if you if, well let's build in a reflective practice to this so it's not mm. about being told what to do or what to say right what would be some some kind of like you think would be the key questions that a first year teacher c- could be asking themselves going in mm. now I will tell you I was a first year teacher where someone I developed a course but I also had a whole lot of stuff that was given to me so when you mentioned mm. before that whole Sometimes Here's it could the be binder. the binder. Yeah. That is great until it isn't. Yeah. When you start to realize that the um, you're really looking at somebody else's brain and mm-hmm. you're sort of looking away. I I'm not even. There's a number system here. Wait, there, there's pagination. Into, I don't. But I don't know how to read this thing. That so obviously right. I should be able to. Um, yeah. I can. I can only imagine. Um, it's challenging to see what some of the challenges are for a first-year teacher right now. Yeah. Because it's almost like you arrive and you are. It's like you're a teacher now. I know. But yeah. there's obviously things that would be more key to ask yourself as a first-year teacher. But what, yeah. what might be that that you know well, they I, could I, be focusing on? I think uh, one of the first things is recognizing your limitations as a first-year teacher. Yep. Um, as any teacher, but first-year teacher, you know, so looking at, so what are my opportunities for learning? Yep. Who's available here? Who who can answer some of my questions? Um, is there someone I, I could do some co-planning with yep. and co-teaching with? One of the best things that I did in my first job, um, I had never uh, practiced taught in English, mm. but my first job was teaching accounting in English, although I had an English degree. Um, and I wasn't sure really about how to go about it or how to assess 
student work. So I just asked the department ed and the other English teachers, can I come in your class and watch you? Could you help me go through this? And they did, and they were awesome. And they were so accepting and kind, and um, I think people are big-hearted, and, and they want to be helpful. That doesn't mean you have to buy everything they're selling or do yeah, everything yeah. their way, because I certainly I saw some things that I was... Yeah, that's I would do that. I see myself doing that. I don't see myself doing that. Yeah. But I I could see myself doing that. So finding people, you know, I would say new teachers need to ask themselves, who around here looks like um, somebody who could I could watch and have a look at their classroom, and they would trust me to come in, and mm -hmm. we could talk about a lesson and talk about student learning. I think it's really powerful. So that would be my my uh, advice looking to other people um, and and also you know not getting too caught up in all the things that I need to be able to do you know just think about one or two things yeah. that you're going to try and manage one another thing I'm going to do um, I've just been accepted um, as a volunteer for Teach for Canada and it's a mentorship program for new teachers who are working in uh, northern Ontario wow yeah, so it's a nonprofit working as partners with Aboriginal yeah, yeah. Um, groups, and so that's what I'm going to do. That's phenomenal. And we're going to mentor over Skype, so that'll be interesting. And they asked me really inter interesting questions in the interview, too. Um, so, you know, if the teacher calls you and says this, what would how would you respond? And yeah. I said... I would need to take some time to think about that, yeah. right? Because it's out of my experience. So, that, I mean, this is a stretch for me because I have never worked in Northern Ontario. Yeah. Um, I know that they're brand new teachers in brand new circumstances. They're far away from home. Um, they may not have all the resources that we have available to them. That's so, cool. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a strong response there is I need time to figure before I answer. Yeah, and yeah. It, and and really, you know, I did all that cognitive coaching, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's, that's, that's I really took that important. with you too. But I mean, what I learned from cognitive coaching is is it's the stance that the person you're coaching has it in themselves to solve whatever the problem yep. is. Mm -hmm. So your job as a coach it changes how you is, see them is to help them. To find it in themselves by posing a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that I'm interested in doing, more coaching. So we'll see. Anyway, awesome. there you go. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks okay. Chris. The only other thing I'll ask is, and okay. that was awesome. Um, where would you like to be found? So if someone was reaching out, wanted to ask, you know, like I'm ready to roll. Oh, on Twitter. Yeah, on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. And I can. Uh, easy. Yeah, for sure. I'll throw that yeah. into the actual okay. the blog notes. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, and um, I often tweet things to do with adolescent literacy, mm -hmm. assessment, um, and teacher professional learning. Mm -hmm. Those are three things that are really, really important to me, and I know a little bit about. So I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything like that. This was awesome. Thank yeah. you for giving me your time. So nice. <laughs> Chris, I enjoyed it. This yeah, awesome. it was really fun. I have to get back to yoga at some point. All right. I haven't been for a while. I had to, uh, yeah, I've had two weeks away. It, it has been one of those, it's, it, there's, it's one of those, well, let's do a shared moment of there's no excuse. Yeah. And I'll say I've just been busy with schoolwork. Yeah. And you just kind of go. <sighs> yeah, well, I've been yeah. traveling, so yeah. that's my excuse. That part's good too, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. So you're practicing abroad? <laughs> I was mostly practicing <laughs> eating haggis and drinking beer. That happens, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have no excuse. I'm, I'm aiming for this weekend. It's okay, good. All right, Teresa. Thanks <laughs> for talking with me. Okay, thanks. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on iTunes and Podbean. If you want to reach out to me and have a conversation, I can be found on Twitter at Chris J. Cluck. I also have a blog on Blogspot of the same name, Chris J. Cluck. And some of my postings can be found on Medium, which I think I have under the exact same name. I really appreciate the time that you spent with the podcast this evening. If you ever want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk with you. And I am truly, truly grateful for you sharing your time with me. Take care.